taste of the summer is the Wild Wayne Don Dada Jerk Magic Rub. Available now at BiteThat.com. Jerk Magic Rub. Order it today at BiteDat.com. Have you been jerked yet? Yeah, I said it. Have you been jerked yet? Get jerked today with the Wild Wayne Don Dada Jerk Magic Rub. Coming to retail soon. Available now online at BiteDat.com. B-I-T-E-D-A-T.com. Jerk Magic Spice. speaking on your culinary expertise you're speaking on your love for food and your love for barbecue i i, I like that I, I like to i like the idea that a guy from the carolinas is down here in new orleans doing their thing but tell me about the other side because you said you're you're, you're not only a, a foodie but you're also a rocket scientist how did that come about i'm an engineer i'm very analytical like what i will say about that is math i grew up on a farm in south carolina in manning well i didn't grow up in manning i grew up in paxville to be exact and growing up on a farm, you learn math and science by doing. It's similar to our ancestors. We learn math and science by doing. We, would, we was experts at that subject. And over time, I just gravitate toward math and science. That's the reason why I learned like barbecue, I understand cooking. And when I start looking at the foods they have here, it relates back to that. But what I, the one thing that I saw about food was a little different from a science standpoint. The food tastes better if you know where the food ingredients come from. Yes, indeed. Only in New Orleans, baby. It's your boy, Wild Wayne. It's going to jump on shorty. Big one, we made it. We made it. The journey of slaves to America quite often stopped in the Caribbean islands. Yeah, they call that a seasoning ground. Right? So there was a lot of seasoning going on. Uh, but but it's very similar to some of the video footage that I saw from you on Nourish. Right? Because it's uh, like what, how we grill in the States. You know, people normally have a barbecue grill and... Mm-hmm. It's, a, uh, it's not a pit, it's just uh, some oval or square type box and you create it. But it seemed like what your family did in the Carolinas, uh, the Jamaican jerk huts, like they have fire hills or fire piles that they create and constantly feed all day. And then they're shoveling whole big shovels full of coal, wood, etc., to keep that consistent temperature under their their, yeah. their meats or whatever. Yeah, so or they're just laying wood over a hole in the ground. Yeah, but then they still have to resupply fresh coals at some point. They right. have a fire off to the side. I mean, I went to Trinidad one time and I saw like, similar to like in Jamaica, they call it a bukin, 
a buccaneering mm -hmm. where they're cooking over those tree limbs, and mm -hmm. that's what you're seeing in Jamaica. And you see that all throughout the Caribbean mm -hmm. with uh, cooking animals. And so you bring some of those little nuances to the southern United States, and you like you start trying. What's different though in the southern United States from like Jamaica is instead of pimento wood, you got oak wood and mm -hmm. hickory wood, and mm -hmm. so that gives you a different uh, seasoning profile, different flavor. But when you start looking like the vinegar pepper based sauces, they all got that. Caribbean type root too, mm -hmm. but that's mm -hmm. all. But you, then you got to go a little further back and go to Africa because that's where that really came from. So have you been to Africa? I haven't been to Africa yet. It's on your list, though. It's I on think. my list. Okay, and and what when you go to Africa, are you looking for specific things that validate some of the things you've seen in the states or ideas you've had? I, of course, I'm most definitely gonna probably go back to where I think my family came from. I'm not gonna do a DNA test. Mm -hmm. um, I'm probably gonna go to like Guinea Bissau. I did one, but I'm I'm kind of skeptical of doing DNA tests. Why? Because you don't own that information. You don't yeah. know where that information is going to. Yeah. Hmm. Or where it came from. You may know where. It, it's a tricky situation as a scientist. It's so many things you could do with that information. There's so many genetics that you could start trying to map and start trying to. I don't trust it. I don't trust hmm. him. You know what? We never introduced our guests. I, I, I was about to <laughs> say that, you know? <laughs> like, the conversation is dope, right? This might end up being a two-parter when it's all said and done. Uh, but it's the Wild Wayne Unchained Podcast. By the way, I'm Wild Wayne. I that am guy Sean is, Royal from Shrewsbury. And, and, and our guest today is Dr. Howard Conyers. Uh, if you have not heard his name, as we say, Google it. Google it. Just Google it. Uh, not only is he a rocket scientist, but he's a renowned uh, international pit master as well. Back that up. Say that one more time. I don't think the people listening it, actually heard you. A rocket scientist and a pit master. So not only is he fire on the grill, but he's smart as hell. And, and I'm loving it. I'm loving it. I appreciate it, man. We all smart people, though. But we don't acknowledge or celebrate how smart and knowledgeable we are as a people. So I want to do it every chance I get. That's just me. So I know you went through a lot of schooling and now it's it's, it's paying off, you know, degrees and getting it's all degrees, this money. It's degrees, but it's also like, I got to pay homage to the people who came before me. They couldn't read and write. They didn't have right. the ability. They had the ability, but the laws of the land wouldn't allow them to read and write. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They definitely had the ability. We wouldn't have been brought here if we didn't have the ability. Right, right. Oh, we we knew how to read and write. Just we didn't know how to I read and write. They still their stuff. Right. That's right. And, and, and you know, they purposely kept the slaves from becoming educated because we were smart, man. And you know, what we should be using. We what? should use the word enslaved. Enslaved. Yes. Truth. Enslaved. Truth. Because we was enslaved people. Mm hmm. Uh truth. I just. I, I just. Let me tell you. <laughs> right. No, you know, right now it's interesting too, and I don't want to go too far off on this, but it's a lot of stuff that I've been seeing that said there's a whole other story to be told about the enslavement, and it wasn't just slave ships coming to America, but that there were already a lot of indigenous Africans here from land bridges and stuff. Yeah, yeah they was talking about like Musa had been over here before. Yeah, so. yeah, 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 and he was. They, they said. Dollar for dollar, if you equated the money and the power and the territories that he had during that period to now, he will probably be the richest man in the world, but 10 times richer. Wow. Wow. I, it's, that's one area I want to do a little bit more research on. I right. want to do a lot more reading on that. But Well, before we get into that and get off track, because that is a big discussion, uh, we're happy to have you here, man. Yes. Uh, congratulations for everything you've been doing. 
Uh, it was very ironic because uh, I'd seen you at a couple of events uh, just in passing. I think uh, you came out to uh, Midnight Basketball oh, one yeah. time. You were, <laughs> yeah, and it was Judge funny Johnson. because they were looking at him like, he's a rocket scientist? Right. He's a black guy that's a rocket scientist? And I was just, I was amazed because, you know, I guess our perception sometimes is that we cannot achieve that. Because it was young guys there, and it I was, guess it, that's why I'm saying that. It, it was, I was kind of scared to go there that night, honestly. And I told Judge Johnson, I said, I'm not sure if these kids would really receive anything I got to say. Right. Some did. Some did. Some did. He, he messaged me like a week or two later, like, some kids like, where's the rocket scientist at? Yeah. And so I like, wow, it made my coming there one time made an impact on at least one individual. He said, you can't save them all, but you at least reach one. And, and that's the important part, because yeah. that yeah. one might have some peer-to-peer -peer interaction to save another one. Okay. Correct. Um, one. So uh, that that was the first time. And then uh, I was like, yeah, man, I'm looking at, at Norris around the time that we started this podcast journey. So this must have been like November, December, and uh, and you know people binge watch Game of Thrones or they binge watch DC. I binge watch all of the news because I thought they were so fascinating. Oh, man, thank you. That means a lot to me. Like, and I'm I'm like really a hater. Like I put it out there. You got if you got quality, whatever, I'll become a fan. Right. But I'm a hater because there's a lot of garbage out there. Right. A lot of people not doing good work when it comes to media. I mean, I was I nervous. Y'all don't know how nervous, nervous was so dope. When though. I first went into it, I said, you know what? I don't have anything to lose, but it's about the culture. Right. 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 And, and we, we, we're going to get into that. Um, right after we watched the Nourish episodes, then I ran into you. At a, uh, a cooking competition, you were a judge. Oh yeah, I was a judge. That was uh, when the Saints played uh, the Panthers. Yeah, right. yeah. And so it was Carolinas versus New Orleans, and I know you had some skins in the game because I, I'm not gonna be from the Carolinas. I'm from the Carolinas, and I try to judge everything as objectively as possible. But that the brother who won that competition, he was seasoned. Yeah, I, I mean, I hate to say it, Chef Dale, like you're a talented chef enough and coming. You need to watch out. Uh, chef, some sling them pots or something. I forgot uh, what he said. Catch them pans. Catch them pans, but like that brother who came in from the Carolinas, he was seasoned and experienced. Right, right. And it's hard to beat that. Yeah, I, I, uh, I was amazed at some of the stuff that he created. But I, I said, man, he he's gonna go with Carolina because he's from Carolina. But he was he was definitely not biased. He was a a, a fair judge. But I was like, from that point, um, we just started building, you know. And uh, I, I'm happy. Uh, that we did because we kind of were on the same wavelength on that whole part about we control the narrative. Man, we, we have to control the narrative at, at all costs. Mm -hmm. It's so critically important that we control it from top to bottom. Now we have the understanding and we also have the ability to document it. Mm -hmm. And our voices are very unique. And I could go into a community or you could go into a community and get stories that nobody else can get. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it makes a difference when it comes out on audio. And I realized that. What um, what made you start doing the Nourish series? Like, I, I, know, I understand, like, what we're talking about this particular part. But what was that first episode? How did that come to fruition? It was just basically supposed to be a uh, documentary on myself, just a mini documentary on myself, and they would go to the next person. I met this producer uh, from Luzanne Public Broadcasting in Denver, Colorado, when I was doing a, a cooking event. Mm -hmm. I was cooking a whole hall barbecue at Slow Food Nations. And um, from there, the people at PBS, they reviewed it, and they said, well, would you consider hosting it? I said, 
I host it on the condition I get to go out in the field and interview my subjects. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then after that, you start going through the motions. And then I said, like, can I be a co-producer? Because a host, you have to really own the content. You have to really, people got to believe you. And I didn't realize how much people had to believe you behind the camera. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's one thing behind the microphone, but when it's on the camera and they got to look into your eyes and see what you were feeling. That's when it's real. That's when it's real. Mm-hmm. So you did nourish. What were some of the topics that you covered through your first season? First season, um, since in New Orleans, I had to cover Miss Leah Chase and Gumbo. And I'm so thankful to have the opportunity to speak to her, especially in her recent passing. She dropped so much on me, and I realized what she gave me at that moment, she was telling me I need to do more in this media space. Mm-hmm, she didn't mm-hmm. say it verbatim, but the information she poured out that didn't make it to the episode of Nourish, it was real. You like, still got that footage, huh? That's a whole nother story. Oh, Lord. Okay, we're going to keep going because that seems like a very sore spot. Yeah, Next. But, but what <laughs> I would say is like, Miss Chase, earned, I mean, like she already had my respect, but during the interview, she said something about we need to, America need to treat all people well. And she hmm. brought up the analogy to Tupac. She like, Really? America didn't see good in Tupac. And I'm like, What you talking about? And me as a host, I almost like fall out of the chair, like, Miss Chase, no all's eyes on me or something. Right, like, right. maybe I'm missing something. <laughs> I'm like, okay. But long story short, she said Tupac had greatness and she read one of his poems and she said, The beauty of that poem, people missed his greatness. And she said she wanted to feed Tupac, but she didn't get the opportunity to feed him. But she fed Suge Knight and she told Suge Knight to sit down and eat. And I'm mm. like, Suge, we all know Suge Knight is a stone cold killer. Bully. Bully, mm-hmm. but she told him to sit down and he sat down and eat. He sat down and eat. Mm. So that gave me respect. One of the other favorite topics was doing the Gullah Geechee culture. Mm-hmm. And probably my favorite episode was looking at um, celebrating the tricentennial of New Orleans. And even though I'm not from New Orleans, what I realized in New Orleans, the black food culture in this city hasn't been celebrated like it should mm. on a national level. And the people who do the food should be the ones who are celebrated. Right. Right. And so we did a whole lot of things looking at New Orleans and 300 years of cooking. And I cooked the whole cow, too. So. And I will tell you this. I'm still upset that I wasn't invited to the Gumbo Jubilee. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it on record. If you do a part two, I need to be front and center. Hey, New Orleans knew I had DJ Jubilee there. Uh, I don't, I, hey, I had, I had my New Orleans <laughs> buy-in. <laughs> All right, all right. I know you want next one you'll be at. You're, you're you're speaking on your culinary expertise. You're speaking on your love for food and your love for barbecue. I, I like that. I, I like to. I like the idea that a guy from the Carolinas is down here in New Orleans doing their thing. But tell me about the other side because you said you're you're, you're not only a, a foodie, but you're also a rocket scientist. How did that come about? I'm an engineer. I'm an engineer. I'm very analytical. Like what I would say about that is. Math, I grew up on a farm in South Carolina, in Manning. Well, I didn't grow up in Manning. I grew up in Paxville, to be exact. And growing up on a farm, you learn math and science by doing. It's similar to our ancestors. We learn math and science by doing. We, we was experts at that subject. And over time, I just gravitated toward math and science. That's the reason why I learned, like, barbecue, I understand cooking. And when I start looking at the foods they have here, it relates back to that. But what I, the one thing that I saw about food was a little different from a science standpoint Food tastes better if you know where the food ingredients come from. And as a farmer, as a son of a farmer, that really drives home because I could go into the field and get a fresh cucumber, fresh tomato, fresh okras. And if I put that into a jambalaya or a gumbo pot, it'll taste better. But the science part is like 
it's definitely a part of me. Um, I just w wish more young black people knew about the science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. And I use my working food, and I want to use my working food to show like you could go into those careers because everybody got to eat. And so food might bring you into me, but what I want to give to you subtly and sometimes subliminally is the science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Mm. Now, what happened with, with mm. black farmers in America? Because I know your family farmed, and it seems like there's starting to be a new interest in farming, but obviously not on the scale of how it was in the past. People are doing these small urban farms. Yeah, so black farming maybe is making a resurgence, but it's on the in the smaller. urban area. Mm -hmm. Is it seen the urban areas? It's not in the rural areas. And as a product for rural areas, they had the black farmers went through so much with the USDA not giving them loans. Uh, when 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 the process of farming changed from like hand labor, because my parents them picked cotton and tobacco by hand, it went to machines and chemicals. And black farmers couldn't get the loans they needed to be able to do basic operationals. And so with that, they were set back. And they're on the decline, they lost a lot of their land. And one thing as a people, if we don't have our land, we don't have anything. And then moving to New Orleans, I realized land and culture go hand in hand. And with farming, there's a culture associated with it, and barbecue is one of those cultures. Moving to New Orleans, I realized culture also goes with the land. When I live in New Orleans, near Second and Dryas, you got the Mardi Gras, black masking Indians, or the Mardi Gras Indians, as some people know, or you got the second lines come by your house. Those cultures go with those communities. And if you don't have those basic tenets of the land, you're not gonna have the culture in the same way. I may be wrong, but I, so so you like kind of referring to the fact that gentrification is going to wash out a lot of culture. Is is that what you're saying? It's going to play an impact. It don't have an impact for sure. Because then the culture becomes kind of plastic. It becomes kind of plastic and manufactured. Yes, it's going to have an impact for sure. Mm -hmm. I, I believe it. I believe it. I, you know, they're they're doing some different programs to try and continue cultivating the culture, or uh, I guess doing some proactive things so it doesn't die, but. It's, it's manufactured. It, yeah. You know, the culture comes, springs from the land. It like, springs from the land. It, it, it springs from, like, just the natural, everyday movements of people and the things that they like to do. And then eventually somebody says, wow, that's really cool. <laughs> like, man, that gumbo is really tasty. Yeah. But we've been eating it. Yeah. Yes. And eating it. I, that's why I laugh. They gave us the scraps. We made it into something magical. Right. Right. That's why I laugh, man, because we take the least and we make the most out of it we've you know, got the most creative abilities you know just just to hear people say things like that you know, mm -hmm. man this tastes really good well 15 20 years ago you was in twitting it you, you didn't want it right you know it was right. throwaway for you but we take it we do what we do with it use these hands like like we were saying right, earlier. right. you know we turn it into something wonderful now everybody's on it I now think everybody the most wants amazing it, you know? thing to me and it's funny amazing was i saw Candied turkey necks. Yeah. At an upscale restaurant. <laughs> upscale restaurant. At an upscale white tablecloth restaurant. They have candy turkey candy, necks. Candy. And they was like about yeah. three turkey necks on there for about fifteen dollars. Appetizer. I said, yeah. What? Yeah. Yeah. They used to frown at us. Y'all eating turkey necks? Turkey necks. Now it's Man. it's that's just crazy. That's just amazing to me. Um <laughs> uh, we were talking about uh, land and culture. Uh, one of the interesting nourish episodes to me was when you went home. 
uh, I guess you had been traveling around and you had been here for a minute, but you had went home uh, to South Carolina to the Low Country. I went to the Low Country. Uh, Heartland of Gullah Geechee culture. And what? Tell too. people what Gullah Geechee is for those that may not know. Anybody could Google it, but what is it and what does it mean to you? Like, I know people in New Orleans are gonna hate this. Uh, they all, <laughs> I already know where you're going. I already know where you're they going. They always say that like, they're like the most African culture in the country, but in Charleston and the Sea Islands, they have the most culturally African ties in the United States, I believe. And the reason they got those African ties, they don't have the other influences, uh, other cultures like the Spanish or French, but they are also isolated on, this, on the land. Isolation, yeah. Isolation was a form of preservation. Mm-hmm. So down from the language, the music, the clapping, the foods they ate, I mean, it's like perlo rice. I don't know if y'all know much about perlo rice or red rice. Mm-hmm. Those type dishes are very much in the Carolina, in the Gullah Geechee region. But what people fail to realize is the Gullah Geechee region also extends a little more inland than what people think. Okay, so it's not just it, the island chain. So it's the island is a very significant part of it, but once you start moving in about 60 miles, you still see evidence of the food and the religion Mm-hmm. And what I mean by religion, you had this religion called Roots that people serve. Roots? Yeah. Like the TV show? No. No. It's called a, It's kind of like an African-based spiritual language. I'm going to just say it like okay. that. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. So you'll still see remnants of that community. You'll see like the food dishes, but the dishes may not have all the seafood you had in it, in the coast. Mm-hmm. It will have more chicken and pork in it because that's where you have more, that's what you had available. From livestock that livestock. They, they did. Um, but it's a really rich culture. I mean, like. And they're going undergoing like gentrification with the land loss, and it's it's just sad because that land was undesirable when they when they claimed it, similar to like mm-hmm. New Orleans. So like for me coming in coming into New Orleans as an outsider, I get to look at Charleston, South Carolina. I get to look at New Orleans. I get to look at what happened to black farmers because now when I look back at those all these three areas, I'm coming in a different perspective. I'm not coming in as I'm native born into New Orleans. I know I'm not from New Orleans, but I see things that happen. There are trends, and you could you could see those trends. And, and history repeats itself. History repeats very, itself. Very cyclical things that happen. So, um, I was going somewhere with that. So I'm gonna tie it together right here. Like you were talking about the the Gullah Geechee part. You talked about the fact that uh, within those islands there was much isolation, so you were able to see. Um, some stuff that moved much slower, right? Because they were sticking to the stuff that they knew firsthand before people tried to change it. Um, when we did the um, show last season with Ben Jaffe, mm. a Tuba to Cuba documentary, when they went to the most isolated part of Cuba, you could see the influence of the African diaspora there as well. Clearly, probably too. Very, very. They didn't even really speak. It was a broken patois. That definitely wasn't English, but it was. It seemed like it was a a, a Cuban African sort of dialect. Um, but I said all of that to say that although New Orleans is much different, it's much the same. It's much the same. So I did an event when I first moved to New Orleans. But, probably my and why? I did a Creole and Gullah family reunion because uh-huh. I wanted to show the how similar these two cultures are, even though they're port cities, but they're very similar in, in food and cuisine. And that's the key. That right there is the key, the port city. The port city. Because I think folks sometimes don't realize that 
these were areas that had a huge import of slaves as a spot where they they docked and dropped. And the smarter, it seemed like the smarter importers of slaves were very intentional about what types of slaves or Africans that they got. Because you got to realize, like, uh, the Brits, they turned their back on America. They had no more money to send here. The early colonists were stupid. They killed all the Indians that were trying to teach them to hunt and farm. So they were starving. So, you know, rice farmers became the important uh, engine in the new America. Important. That's why you have them in the Carolinas. And they do a lot of rice farming in Carolina and obviously here in southern Louisiana. Yeah, we don't, the rice in the Carolinas, we don't really do rice farming anymore. But when during the early days of slavery, that reason why we was here, Mm because of rice and Mm -hmm. the knowledge we have from rice, people don't realize that's more important. We had the knowledge of how to grow rice. There was no textbook, there was no Google. Right, right. These individuals had the blueprint to how to build dikes and levees Mm -hmm. in their heads. And right. so they was able to carry that knowledge across the ocean mm-hmm. and be able to make it work in America. And, and then now the foods, you know, that were created then are, are so similar too. Like Perlou versus Jambalaya. The gumbo in New Orleans, which is a little bit different than the gumbo out in, in the Carolinas. It's a little different than Miss Chase got on hill now. When <laughs> tell, tell me about the Carolinas gumbo. Everybody, a lot of people know what, what New Orleans style gumbo or Cajun gumbo is like. But what's the differences like between this down south gumbo versus a, a Carolina type gumbo? The Carolina gumbo would be more like an okra stew. Okay. Like, okay. Like an okra and tomato and shrimp and that and, sort of thing. But no corn. root. But the, and, and, I said <laughs> and corn. Corn. Oh, and Miss, I was like, corn. And then Miss Chase got over and I took it. I, I took it like a child. I cannot argue with Miss Chase. Give me that beat down. <laughs> I, I took it. <laughs> but uh, and it don't have any root. No root whatsoever. And if you look okay. at really African based gumbos, they don't have this rooted. Some people in New Orleans live and die by. They like this ain't gumbo if you don't got a root. Y'all need to know who that root come from. I, I think roots are unnecessary. It is unnecessary. That's, and I know that's probably sacrilegious to some folks. <clears throat> but if you look in where the root come from, it don't come from African culture. Mm. Now, where does it come from, you know? It come from the French culture. Okay, okay. See, there you see, go. See, you, you guys are getting into what's, what's needed and what's not needed for a good gumbo. I need a deep bowl and a big spoon. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I've come up with this ratio. Uh, just me personally, I know a lot of people don't agree with this, but if you're going to serve gumbo, it needs to be three scoops of juice and one scoop of rice. Don't that? rice me to death. Mm, okay. That's just my part. Y'all can get back to what y'all was talking about. I just thought I would chime And in. the magician speaketh. How about, how about, <laughs> it, it didn't have much to do with much, but I just thought I would let y'all know if, if Dr. Kanye wanted to bless me with a bowl of gumbo. I, I'm not going to make gumbo in New Orleans. I, I go to somebody's house in New Orleans and I let them do that. Or That's while Wayne wanted to bless me with a bowl of gumbo. I know I could use one right now. <sighs> and a tater uh, salad. I, I mean, I hear people putting some little scoops. No! I've been hearing people you, put... You, you do that? No, I've been hearing that's what some people Man, do in New Orleans. Some people do it. I don't know where that came from. I So I think I asked the magician. It's gentrified gumbo. I will make you... <laughs> you will disappear from my house. You put 
I mean, some people say, like, put a scoop in it. I'm like, what y'all talking about? Mm-hmm. Nah, it's, you know, it should be three scoops of juice, gumbo to, to one scoop of rice. That's what I was thinking. But uh, <laughs> no potato salad. No, no, no tater salad. No tater salad. No tater salad. No tater salad. Man, how did you start, like, with your pitmaster journey? Like, pit- you, you, you were, like, dad's apprentice for yeah, I years and grandpa's apprentice? Let, or me just, let me just say something. I don't even know what the word pitmaster was as a child. That just the reality okay. of it. Just because people call me a pitmaster today, I didn't know what that word was. Nobody knew my community used that word, and they were cooking whole hall barbecue for hundreds of years. Mm. Um, but I learned by following my father and looking at what my father did. It seemed very intriguing to take a whole animal, butterfly it out, and 12 or so hours later, you got this a product that everybody in the family want, and they'll travel for to get it. Hmm. And did, were you telling me not only the the uh, the ones that they did in the ground, but was it refrigerators? Or so something? so my fa- yeah. So my father learned how to cook barbecue in the ground. We're dealing basically like a shallow grave. Then over time, people start taking old refrigerators because they got tired of digging holes, and also like with water tables. And so people in New Orleans can appreciate this mm-hmm. with a high water table. So they start converting old things they had available. So they start gutting out old refrigerators and turn those, and then you start seeing people going to old fuel tanks, old kerosene and protein tanks. And so that's when you start seeing like these little barrel grills show up. And ah. so all those type innovations came because people start being resourceful. And then you start doing the same time as America grew, you see other things coming into play. Like you see cinder blocks, you see brick mm-hmm, pits, mm-hmm, if mm-hmm. you have more permanent structures. I've even seen the, uh, the old file cabinets. That's something new. That, that seems like the past 10 years. Yeah. Yes. That's, that's not an old one. Probably, oh, okay. Probably okay. do something with a washing machine battle. Tell, tell me this. Is there any is there any native woods or, or, or native woods to, to Carolina that you won't get here in New Orleans that gives you a different flavor, gives it a different nah, taste? No, they have. No? I mean, they have oak and hickory here in, mm. in Louisiana. People just don't like to use a lot of oak. They like to use pecan or pecan, as they like to say. Okay. So. Pecan. Pecan. <laughs> I, I like cherry wood. I, I that, like the smokiness of cherry wood. Uh, it's not as hard as uh, hickory or mesquite. Yeah, hickory is a very hard smoke and mesquite. And smoking is sort of a new thing, too. Just the whole word of smoking and the art of smoking, where you use indirect heat to cook meat, is an old thing. It's not, this is a new, rather new thing. What I came up in the Carolinas is, is direct heat. And so your meat is not. It's smoke, but it's not overpowering smoke. Because mm-hmm. sometimes you can have smoked meat, and it's it's too smoky. Right. It tastes like a mouthful of smoke, and that's it. And, and you a lose the of charcoal. You lose the flavors of of the natural flavors of your meat. Meat. We're supposed to be a, a balance. And the seasoning, yes. I, and you know what? I, when I first started smoking, I over smoked food because I was like, man, that's more wood. That's more <laughs> wood. We need to be smoking. And then you take it out, and you're like, what is this? And if you smoke meats too long, like they lose their body too. And and it, they get mushy. That's part of the scientific thing you're talking about. When you start cooking meat so long, you start breaking down those tissues. Mm-hmm. And cause smoke would do it over time. If you get it to the right temperature, it'll just slowly break down and it'll be it'll, it'll turn to mush. So so you have a distinct advantage when it comes to these competitions, you think? I don't do barbecue competitions, but um You never but, never did any? I did I would say I I don't really call it a competition when I competed in it. Halls for the Cause in New Orleans is a barbecue competition where they raise money for pediatric brain cancer, but 
I I learned early on that I wasn't a win with a traditional style of cooking. Okay. And but I what I did it for was because I wanted to educate people on what I thought South Carolina whole hog barbecue was. So what you, you're saying like with some of those competitions, they don't want like the purest foundation barbecue. They want some fancy smancy. Yes. So tell add- me how you how you like your ribs? Uh, Just out of curiosity, okay. Ask both of you. I, I like free. Uh, <laughs> you like a fall off the bone or something? Uh, barbecue. I like. I like when someone else cooks them. Uh, 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 this guy. Uh, I, I like them actually with no barbecue sauce on them. Okay, let's, let's just go. Let's just go with the barbecue, the rib, and the texture you're looking for. And and I like it. I don't like it to fall off the bone. I want it to stick to the bone a little bit because I feel like they overcook if they fall off the bone. Well, some people want it to fall off the bone. Okay, but that's that competition crap. No competition crap. They want it, they want it to have a little bit of bite. So you think it should fall off the bone? A personal preference for what you like is two different things, and this okay. is re- this is another reason I'm gonna give you a little thing on competition barbecue, right? So if you did like barbecue sauce, how would you do? You like your barbecue sauce to taste like candy? No. If you eat it, I, I don't like. I like more vinegar based than, vinegar. than, yeah. than yeah. sweet. But if you go to a competition barbecue, more than likely, most of the barbecue sauces are really sweet, like candy. And mm-hmm. I, I guess that appeals to the palate. That appeals to the palate. It also very a lot of psychology in it. Oh. They do a lot of studying on people neural neurons. Because sugar's addictive. Sugar is addictive. Gotcha. More more addictive than crack. You, I don't know that. So. You, you keep you keep referring to whole hog barbecue. But tell 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 the world about about your other whole animal you, you you've done. I cooked the whole cow, and I mean I could have cooked lambs, goats, chickens, turkeys, but the cow was special to me. Now, what, what you're an engineer, of course. I'm an engineer, of course. What does it take to cook a whole cow? I mean, we're not talking about a little like you said, a turkey or a chicken. This is a massive animal. This is a massive undertaking. How how does this happen? It took a lot of planning, a lot of engineering, but it also it was a way for me to show to show what barbecue was for African Americans. African Americans were cooking steers, they would say in the literature, or oxes, and so I did a lot of planning. But I had to design a pit to be able to handle that cow and manage that cow because I'm a small guy and I can't just pick up a cow once it starts cooking. Once you start cooking an animal like that, you can't be putting your hands all in it to turn it over. So right. you, you need to really have some kind of apparatus that you can really control and manage just smartly. And that's where the engineering came into, into advantage. And people working with our hands, that's always been in the African-American community. I mean, you look in New Orleans in the Seventh Ward, you have all these trays with the Creole, Creoles. I mean, we work with our hands. We, we're good with our hands. And you built this pit with your pops, right? Me and my father built this hey, pit. He's, he's not an engineer. He's the best engineer I know. Well, I, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> I'm going to just tell he you. He said, you got a degree. You <laughs> have a degree. But he probably know more about engineering than you. Where it matters, right, right. And I was, I was watching. And I was like, "Wow, you look like all your you were asking him all the questions." And I thought he was going to be asking you all the questions. <laughs> no, I mean, so we went back and forth on a lot of things, but you cannot teach. I'm gonna say, like for myself, my father been doing welding and working with metals for 40 years, besides being a farmer. And the things you learn from that experience, I'd be a fool not to listen to that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Truth. And then he also cooked barbecue, but he didn't know what, how to handle dealing with this cow. He trusted me on that part, but I trust him on helping me to build what I need. So we mm-hmm. talked back and forth. We do sketches. I went to South Carolina uh, several times to make sure I went in the shop. I spent time in the shop just to make sure that we were on the same page. And we were like, 
it was something. It's something to see. I mean, that device is something to see. Now, how much did this cow weigh? Approximately. So this cow was a rather a smaller cow, and I'm gonna tell you why it was a smaller cow. So it was around 300 pounds, a little over 300 pounds. Only 300 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, people think cows are thousand pounds, right? You well, have some well, certain cows. Certain cows right. are today. They are thousand pounds, but when you used to go looking at the literature, they, they didn't have all this GMO stuff, genetically modified, processed to breed and to get these big bulls and right. uh, big Angus cattle. So they was a lot smaller cows, and so I was trying to replicate something they had during that time period. So you chose, uh, I'm, Four I'm, thinking, size wise. I'm thinking you went with a smaller size cow and that would give you the meat a, be- a different flavor or a better flavor or a tender or, or whatnot? Well, I did a smallest cow one because I wanted something more representative of history mm-hmm. for size wise. Two, I didn't want to cook a thousand pound cow and waste a whole lot of meat. I do not believe in wasting food. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. this, how I was brought up, we can't waste food. Gotcha. That animal gave its life and uh, you should do. You, you should respect. You that. should respect that. Want to use it from rooter to the tutor. Rooter to the tutor. Um, so, what is your favorite? No, let's let's rewind a little bit. Since you did the cow, he didn't bring me none, and he didn't even invite me. Mm-mm. But anyway, talk to your media folks in New Orleans why they didn't share why I was there. I am the media. Oh, yeah, hello. Me. Yeah, my bad. My hello. bad. I didn't know. I didn't really know you. Like, yeah, my bad. Hello. That's right. Okay, that would be uh, us. Mm-hmm. Now I know. Uh, Next time we'll we'll be a, a front center. Um, have other people tried to emulate uh, doing like larger animals since your special came out? I mean, some people have been doing some larger animals, and they do a different technique, but they haven't. I haven't seen where they did a technique that I use. Okay. But I, I'm I'm pretty sure some guys gonna want to come out and try to do the technique that I did. Right, right, right. Because now I proved it. It works. What is the number one thing that you? Uh, that you've ever created on the pit, outside of the cow, because that was a special thing in itself. But like, what is your your one go-to barbecue item that's bananas? Like, and no one can duplicate it. They don't have that hand. People are starting to do it, but it's something called a barbecue skin. Hmm? It's very, it's, see. <laughs> <laughs> it's something you do when you're cooking a hog on a pit and you crisp the skin of the hog while it's on the pit. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like a crackling, but it's not a crackling because you got the, the skin get crispy like a potato chip, but then when you pull it off, you still got that fat on it. And it's something, you it's probably the best bite I, it's probably one of the best bites you would get in barbecue. Mm-hmm. It's the skin. Okay. okay. And it's not this like dropped in grease. You do it on the pit. And the reason it's so dangerous is because when you do it, it's an art form too, and if you don't do it right, you could catch that animal on fire that you just wasted 12 hours of your life cooking. Gotcha, okay. Really? Really. The barbecue skin. Mm. That's amazing. Okay. I, I just wanna, I really wanna go out with some guys, really, I just wanna go with you, uh, on on a little barbecue expedition. Oh, I'm with that. Like, yeah. I, like yeah. I, and look, I'll put in work. Like, I'll put in work, whatever you need me to do. But I, I just, you know, we get so caught up in this now barbecue, you know, and and it's not like, you know, when when barbecue really came into its own, when it was a necessity thing. Now it's these frivolous competitions and yeah, some, everyone is doing brisket now. Oh, brisket. Some of these yeah. places I have been in to look at barbecue places. They're like museums, like relics. Like I'm talking good barbecue chicken. Good like barbecue. really good barbecue chicken that's not drowning in sauce. No, no, that's... Like a, a good uh maybe 
piece of pork that's that's done right. I really, I've never been to a hog grilling. You never been to a hog? If, if they got one coming up, I would love an invite, man. I'm I'm not gonna eat up all their food. I just want to see the process, and I'm gonna taste it obviously. I, I, but I want to see the process. I will. I, I eat up the all magician. The food. You know, <laughs> yeah. I do a lamb. I mean, so I mean, so that's one of the things I have. Like you say, you're gonna do a what? Lamb. A lamb. You don't like lamb. I, I mean. Hey, I'm open. I mean, but I try to make something. sure. I try to make sure it's like our culture. Like some people are Muslim and they don't eat pork, and I want to make sure I can feed the masses with something different. Well, I mean, I you said the, the goat is legendary too. I just don't. I'm just not hearing that. I, I don't. I don't. When I hear barbecue, it just lamb doesn't pop into my I'm head. Tell you. Goat doesn't pop into my head. I'm, I'm listening for the the, the the hog, the cow, the chicken, of course. The lamb, the lamb is special. But, okay. but the lamb and goat, goat is special. Goat's the most barbecued meat in the world. And goat is the most yeah. Could you have to think about it. goat is easy to grow and cheap. And it's they, cheap. They, I mean, they, they eat, eat everything. They eat weeds, anything. Hmm. Oh, but the reason okay. the lamb is a little better because the goat is kind of dry. You got to be really careful with your preparation of that goat. Okay. And that's when you see a lot of curry goats because they want to put that moisture, reconstitute it, get some moisture back into it. The lamb, the lamb is a little more fattier meat. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. you don't have to do as much. You still have to cook it right because it don't have a skin like a hog, but you have to do certain things. You don't have to do as many things as you do to the goat. Gotcha. Man, I'm just happy you came to the show, bro. Sharing a little information, a little wisdom. And I want people to know your story that they may not have seen Nourish. Or I know you've done a lot of different things, man. But I'm, I'm glad to have you here. We've had some really great conversations in I the mean, past. I, I appreciate you all. I appreciate people in New Orleans who really, like, vouch for me. I mean, like, being away from home 12 hours is something serious. I mean, but I have met some really good people in New Orleans, um, like the Vocal Sons, like DJ Jubilee, like the guys, um, Al Smith, uh, Cornell Williams, and Wild Wayne, and every, I mean, a lot of different people like really have embraced us in New Orleans. That's, and so, and that's what made me feel like this is a place I could live for a while. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you. It's the South, and that's, we have that commonality. And, and I wanna come to the Low Country. Y'all need to, I'm gonna tell you, everybody in New Orleans need to go to the Low I Country. I wanna come. It's something special about the little country. We're gonna put, we're gonna get some dates together, and we're gonna do some podcast stuff out there. Oh, I'm only coming to eat, like for real, for nope, real, nope. and see about the the Gullah Geechee, uh, no, you uh, culture. Need but I'm I'm gonna record some stuff out no, there you too. Need, you need to try to record some stuff out there. Like if you go there, you need to. It's rich. It's a beautiful culture. Okay, okay. So I grew up in this tradition. I didn't go out before learning math and science. I learned how to cook barbecue. I learned how to work on the farm. I didn't know what math and science was. Mm -hmm. um, so it was doing it now is getting back to some, that's some of my issues of being somewhat homesick at one point. But the real issue I kind of fueled my motivation to continue in this work is I realized our narrative has not been told in the way it should. And if anybody should tell our narrative coming out the South and Southern foods, it need to be come from somebody from the South. I mean, True. you got people from all over. I mean, I can't tell a New Orleans. I could tell like New Orleans foods on a surface level. And so if I was telling a deep New Orleans story, I'd go to Miss, well, I would have gone to Miss Leah. I'd go to Vance Rokosan. I'd go to Miss Linda Green. I'd go to those, the Dunbar family. Could they order, I mean, I'd go to those type families if I didn't know anybody in, in homes in the community who mm -hmm. could really speak of the traditions. But at a surface level, the stories that come out of the South, I believe, should be told by people from the South. Right, true, true, for for us by us, like that's real, that's real. And, and that's one of the premises of this show, 
Um, we just want to make sure that we can capture these stories uh, while people can smell the roses and do it in a way that we do it. Because it's cool for a New Yorker to come or somebody from California or somebody from Europe or whatever, some Japanese guy, whatever. But they don't know enough. And they don't know the push buttons for the people to really get them stories out of them. And that, I mean, I've always done interviews over my career, but this is a different type of interview with this podcast. And in season one, we found out all kind of things, cultural pieces, historical markers. Like, he found out he was related to Mia X. He had no idea that they were, they were cousins <laughs> yeah. in the middle of the episode. Yeah. Like, crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the power of the stuff. And... I'm sorry, a non-black person would not know those kind of con connections. Mm -hmm. You got to live in the community, like you have to. Wayne said, uh, Wayne asked me, he said, do you know, uh, you know, uh, Mr. Howard Kahn? I was like, nah, I don't know him. And he never told me your nationality or nothing. That He just told me you're a rocket scientist that, that likes to dabble in the barbecue. I had this image in my head. I really did, I'm not, I'm not pulling your leg. I what just was the image? This, it wasn't what I'm looking at today. Just I'll out of curiosity, what was the image? I just, I just thought you was gonna be a frumpy guy with some wild hair on your head, and you know maybe some real thick glasses or a shirt with a pocket with like fifteen pins pocket in protector. a pocket, <laughs> right? Right, some khaki pants and some beat up shoes. That's what I thought. That's first thing, and I apologize to you for thinking that. You're not the only person. You won't be the last person. So at the uh, rap party, Wayne says, "There's Mister." Now, I will say this: I listened to the podcast, but I never googled you. I never looked up your image because I wanted I didn't want it I didn't want to spoil a surprise. I wanted to see you for myself. And why I was like, hey, that's Mr. Kanye's walking up. They're where? <laughs> the rap party. Man, you look like you're in your early twenties. And I'm just amazed that you're you you look so young and that you've accomplished becoming a rocket scientist. I know I just keep beating on that point about being an engineer and a rocket scientist. That's that important. I can't lose you can't lose sight of it because young kids need to know that all these professions are attainable. They need to know that they become a rocket scientist, they become a host, they become a camera person, they become a videographer, they become some editor, code, and they could do all these type these careers. Do you, do you do a lot of speaking engagements besides the food? Just, um, just I on do the some, science itself? I do some when people call me. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people just don't call me, and, but that's just a whole nother story. Gotcha, I gotcha. do it when, it, when needed. So, so, so you, you spend the majority of your time doing the, the foodie thing? Um, I won't say the majority of my pastime. Like my majority of my time I spend is now I'm exploring this whole media business mm -hmm. um, because I believe it's a whole lot of the stories need to be captured. Our greatest knowledge as a people is in the cemetery, mm -hmm. and that's something to think about. So how do we get that knowledge if it's in the cemetery? Because Cause Wild people, Wayne, the magician, y'all go out, people talking. Those, no, those this this is gonna sound really crazy. When you go to a cemetery, and if you just sit still, it you will you will hear and feel certain things. This may sound crazy, but I don't hang out in cemeteries. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but I went to a, a funeral for a relative, and my my mind was racing the entire time I was there because I was I was reading like all of these different names and dates and history. Because some of them have little, little writings and stuff on them, and I just ha I was filled with 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 a different energy while I was there, and a lot of questions. And I had some of the people that worked there some questions. They were no help at all, but 
is true. And I met a guy the other day that told me that same thing. This guy is 80. He was an early civil rights activist with Martin Luther King. His name was uh, Frank Bollier. Um, and he was beat by some cops as a as a youngster and ended up getting some help from uh, Dr. Martin Luther King. And he ended up relocating to Chicago and never really came back. But you could Google him. He's full of information, but he was telling me that same thing. He said, the stories will be told in cemeteries. Wow. I mean, it's, so it's ironic a, you said that. No, it's real. I was, I was thinking about that and it really become evident. I was told that as a young child and it didn't really mean anything. As I got older, I was like, oh, this is real. Like if I had the opportunity to ask some people I have had the time, the opportunity to spend some time with, I'd be like, man, I'd be a lot smarter because I wouldn't make that same mistake. I'm gonna have to make some mistakes, now don't get it wrong. Right. But there's some things that they did that I wouldn't have to do. So besides the stories being told from cemeteries, what have you put on paper? You have any cookbooks? You have any what, are you, what are you about to do? Because yeah. I know you. I, I, look, I, I, I know it's I coming. Feel the storm I can brewing. see it, right? I'm, right and I right. pay very close attention to what you post and what you say. And sometimes there's more <laughs> said. That is not what you write on the text because I read between the lines. Right. I mean, what I'm just curious. you got coming, bro? I'm curious. Cause, Cause, you said you, said cause you I, went home. I need to know. All right, you said you went home. I, and you I put mean, that... I can't really say, but just know some stuff going to be documented. It's going to be some stuff documented both orally and text and video. It's going to be some some stuff documented. Okay. We, we'll we'll no, take no, that, no, I suppose. No, no I'm not letting you know, you ain't tell us nothing. I ain't tell y'all anything, but I'm just saying I can't. Like, I'm working on some stuff right now, and I kind of like, I like to keep a lot of things close to my heart. Okay, you know? so what, what's out there now? What, what's out there now? What's out there? In I mean, Nourish is out now. there right. if you want to learn more about what Southern foods are from in season one. Mm -hmm. did, did you do a season two yet? Did no, that's a whole nother okay. Okay. conversation. I forgot about gotcha. it. Yeah, we did. Um, <laughs> Uh, see, <laughs> it's a long there, conversation. There's some stuff out there that I work, stuff on my blog that I share, some stuff mm -hmm. I share on my Instagram page. But you have to read between the lines, and also you have to realize you can't share everything up front. Gotcha. You need to wait till it come in fruition and bloom. Oh, I, f I feel you. I feel you on that. So with with that being said, how do we get in contact with you? I have my my personal website is howardconyers.com. You could send emails, inquiries, or you want speaking engagements. You could call you could contact me through that platform. I'm on Instagram at Carolina Q Nola underscore PhD. Um do that PhD in there. You, you gotta you got to. You I, I, I got to because my people went through a lot. Let me let me give y'all a story just so understand why education is important, not just for black farmers played a big role in the civil rights and kicking off the civil rights movement. In New Orleans, y'all had a case called Plessy versus Ferguson. Mm -hmm. And y'all listeners could Google this all you want to validate my facts. There was a case in my home county in Clarendon County called Briggs versus Elliott and Levi Pearson versus Clarendon County versus the board. Levi Pearson versus Clarendon County. These black farmers wanted their kids to have a school bus to go to school. And that is what kicked off the Brown versus Board of Education court case. Wow. They had an experiment where they had black kids and they had to pick what color baby doll they want to pick out. And it was a white, most black kids in the South picked white baby dolls during that time, in the early 50s. And when you have those kind of historical moments in your home county, you take education seriously. And so I have to put that PhD up there so people know, even though I may do this barbecue and I may look like I'm walking down the street like any over, anybody else, just know that I, I got a lot of education. I, 
I paid for it. So, yeah, so, my assets to pay for it. Right. I got on it now. So for the people that are listening, I mean, I don't want them just to get caught up in the idea that you cook. I also want people to come out or, or contact you about speaking engagements about your other side, about your rocket scientists, about your intellectual. You know, is that available on the website? Yeah, that's also? on the website. And you come to the website, I'll speak to you. I don't have to speak about food, but what I will speak to you is about your ability. Your ability in math and sciences, it relates to all parts of life. All parts of life. Gotcha. Mm. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Man, well, another exciting edition of Wild Wayne Unchained, the podcast. Uh, today's guest, Dr. Howard Conyers, engineer, rocket scientist, pit master, cultural preservationist. Uh, he was a farmer as a kid. All kind of stuff, man. Yes, sir. Keep doing your thing, man. I'm proud of you, my man. We're happy to have you here. And we're going to bring you back. We're going to bring you back. We're gonna, you know, I'm just telling you, we're going to bring you back. And we're going to do one all strictly about barbecue. Right. You know, since we cover uh, culture, cuisine, and lifestyle, I do want to do a show strictly on barbecue. Mm -hmm. Because, like, people that really, like, get down, I know you're not going to share all your secrets, but we're going to talk about some, some barbecue and some barbecue history. That's all you. Deal? Deal. All right, deal. There <laughs> it is, man. Okay, hold on. Hold on. Oh, oh, I'm going to oh, get this on tape. Oh, oh, here we go. If he get to do that, then I get to interview you as a DJ. Because people don't think, you. the DJ always interviewing everybody else. But people don't realize what the DJ has contributed to, like, music industry, right? I, I'm, I'm with it. I, 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 you just have to, you have to interview me. I know, I'm going to interview you. Because if you, if you don't interview me right, I'm going to interview you on your own interview. Oh, I, I'm, I'm be, just telling hey, you. Hey, I'm going to do my homework now. <laughs> but no, but I think it's going to be a challenge. But I think it's important to understand why DJs really influence music culture. And after like listening and reading like Charlemagne from South Carolina, like, dang, people don't see his backstory. But why, Wayne, you got a backstory in New Orleans influence that's insane. Charlemagne is good, and he's from the Carolinas, but Charlemagne is not Wild Wayne. He's not Wild Wayne. And, and that's my so guy, but I've been very instrumental in a lot of things musically that were here, that's what but I'm saying. impacted globally. That's what I'm saying. They don't so, know that, though. So, that's what, I, I, I mean, I'd I know it. I'd be glad to do it. <laughs> Just blow that head up. Uh, he, he, won't, he won't be able to fit out the whatever. door in a minute. But deal. 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 Hey, man's handshake deal. There it is. Hey, we'll be back with more of uh, Wild Wayne Unchained. We'll have another episode about to drop very soon. But listen to this one. Send it to your friends. Send them the links. Comment. Give us the five stars. The whole nine. And we'll be back with another one very, very soon. And right, can I get some theme music? to the Wild Wayne Unchained podcast. Make sure and follow us on social media at Wild Wayne Unchained. And for advertising or sponsorship opportunities, contact us at wildwayneunchained at gmail.com.